The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You doing all right? All right, you look good, you sound good. We're uh, adjusting the order this morning just a little bit. Uh, We want to dive into the scriptures. We've got a time of prayer after the sermon this morning, and we're going to pray for our country, and then we're going to sing a little bit after the sermon. Y'all doing good this morning? Everybody doing all right? Awesome. Well, unless you have been in hiding, uh, this week we elect a new leader that will run the free world. And uh, I don't know how that makes you feel um, this week. I don't know how that makes you feel this morning. Uh, well, okay, if you're excited, that's awesome. Um, I've heard, I've watched the news reports, and news reports have said that more people have voted early this year than ever before. How many of you guys have already voted? Anybody voted already? Okay, wow, unbelievable. Um, I, when I wrote my message this week, I wrote in my notes uh, to say I voted yesterday. I actually didn't get a chance to vote yesterday. Some things got messed up, but I am going to vote early tomorrow. And some of the news reports are saying that the reason why they believe that people are voting early is because we just want to get it over with and get on with the rest of our life. Anybody say amen this morning? Like never before in my lifetime, it seems like the, in the political arena, there's more antagonism, there's more vitriol, uh, the, the rhetoric is more antagonistic than I think I've ever experienced in my entire lifetime. And uh, I, I'm also ready to get this political season over with. If you're a Christian this morning, I believe there are two things that you should believe right now about our country. Number one, you should rightly be concerned that the direction of our country is headed in a direction that's hostile to what we believe and our religious liberty is being threatened. You should rightly be concerned about that. There are cracks, I believe, in the bell of religious liberty in our country. You should believe that. Number two, I believe that, and I'm convinced, and as I read scripture and as I pray over this election season, I'm reminded that my allegiance is not to a leader, it's not to a constitution, it's not to a bill of rights. And this may surprise you this morning, but the United States of America is not the climax of God's plan. And um, so this morning we find ourselves, we're in a series called Futures. If this is your first time this morning, you've not been around here in a while, or you're trying to figure out how we do what we do on Sunday mornings, we have a philosophy in how we teach. And part of that philosophy is we like to teach through books of the Bible. So we planned out this entire fall, this summer, and sketched out most of the spring this summer as well. And when we sketched it out, we did not have a plan to address the election or politics today, I just want you to know before you like me or dislike me or send me an email about the content today, um, I just want you to know that it just so happens that we come upon a passage in 1 Peter in our series this morning that deals with how we as Christians live and how we view government. And so the question that the scriptures put before us today the question that the Spirit of the living God has directed us towards today is, the, is, is essentially how do we as citizens of another kingdom, if you are a believer this morning, 
How do citizens of another kingdom live in a country that's hostile to what we believe, yet at the same time, how do we live as good citizens? Now, listen to me. I want to say to you, I, I, I can't stand politics as much as you. Honestly, I can't, okay? And I, I'm confident that most of you, if you are younger, and I'm not typecasting us this morning, but if you are younger, you have an extraordinary aversion to politics. I get that, and today is not about politics. It simply, honestly, genuinely is about the scripture and what God says, how we should view government, okay? That's my only agenda today. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to promote a candidate. I'm not going to send you to a website. That's not the agenda today, all right? Can you just relax? Relax for a moment and say amen, all right? Amen. Now, let me say this before I launch into it. Um, I love America. I love the country that I live in. In 1967, my Aunt Sandra moved to Washington, D.C. as a 22-year-old, and she became the personal secretary for Senator Strom Thurmond. Senator Strom Thurmond lived to be 101 years old when he was 100 years old, he became, um, the, when he left office, he was the oldest serving and the longest serving senator in United States history. When I was in college, I moved to an apartment a block from the Capitol. I worked out of the Russell Senate building. I worked for Senator Strom Thurmond when I was in college one summer. I come from a long line of patriots. My grandmother's brother died in Pearl Harbor. My grandfather fought in World War II. I want to lay my cards out this morning and tell you, I do love America. And I love the country that I live in. And I want to acknowledge this morning that we have extraordinary liberty. We have extraordinary freedom. In the Middle East today, there are Christians who are living in a hostile culture and a hostile country where the houses, their houses and their businesses are marked with the Arabic uh, letter that's pronounced noon. It's the Arabic letter for in. It's a sign of contempt. It's a symbol of hate. And today there are Christian brothers and sisters in other countries around the world that are literally losing their life because of what they believe in. I'm reminded this morning that in our country, we pulled up in a parking lot today in Burbank, California, unhindered. We fellowshiped without hindrance. We came in this morning and we've sang songs and we're about to listen to the scripture with all freedom and gladness in our hearts. But in spite of the freedom and the liberty that we um, experience in our country. I also want to posture as much as I love our country. I also want to posture before us that I want to caution us not to put our hopes into something that will ultimately betray us. Um, if you know history, you know that the Roman Empire lasted 1,500 years. America is less than 250 years old, and there are cracks in the foundation. As much as I love America, my hope is not in my country because it will ultimately betray me and you. So the question is, how do we as citizens of a kingdom that is not of this country, how do we live and view government how do we become responsible citizens in light of a country that's becoming increasingly hostile towards us? So if you have a Bible, that's our content this morning. It's not my thoughts. It's not a blog post. It's not a TV show. The content this morning comes from Scripture. So before you send me an email about how much you hate that we talked about politics this morning, the content comes from Scripture, all right? 1 Peter chapter 2, 
starting in verse 13. If you've got a Bible, turn it on, turn it to. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screens, all right? I want to preach a message today titled, Jesus, America, and Politics. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13, here's what it says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and here it is, honor the emperor. The passage this morning is not complicated. Um, when you do Bible study and you read the scriptures, there is a way to interpret what uh, different passages and different books of the Bible. We are specifically reading a letter that was written by a man named Peter. Um, there are multiple letters in the New Testament that are written to believers, that are written to churches. And, and um, in theological terms, we describe this as a didactic book. In other words, it is a straightforward teaching. It's different from uh, the stories of Jesus or is different from many of the Old Testament passages that narrate a story. We call those narratives and we interpret those in one way. And when we look at teaching, direct teaching, we call didactic teaching in the New Testament, we look at it another way. It's very straightforward. This passage is straightforward this morning. And Paul has one, I mean, Peter has one argument and then he's going to give two reasons why he believes that this is the way we should rightly relate to government. Now, here's his one argument. By the way, when you're doing Bible study, when you're in didactic books, when you're in the letters that Peter and Paul write in the New Testament, typically in, in passages, you sec section them off. Sometimes we look at them as books. Sometimes we look at them as chapters. But then um, um, sometimes they can be um, dissected out as specific passages. In specific passages, typically in didactic teachings, there is almost always one primary verb. There's one primary instruction, and that's the case in Peter's message today. Peter's instruction, pre Peter's primary verb in this passage for how we should relate to governments is the word submission. Submission, it's a military term. It gives us the idea of arranging something in order. It gives us the idea of falling into rank. Now listen to me, as a high D, as a high D, as a creative, as a person who lives in LA, like most of us are, we don't like words like submission, right? We are rule breakers for most of us in our city. And we don't like this idea of submission. But Peter says this is the primary way we are to think about our role and how we should view government. And then he gives us two reasons why he thinks we should relate to the government this way. And this is important. The first reason is this. It's found in verse 15. I'm going to go back to verse 14 in just a second. But the first reason he says we should see government in terms of our view of government as submission is this. He says, because submission is, is a matter of influence. This is what he says in verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish 
people. The mission of God, we understand this if we understand the entire narrative of scripture, the mission of God has the glory of God always at stake and always in mind. This is, this is actually an evangelistic, there's an evangelistic thrust to this passage. In other words, Paul is saying your submission to government is really an act of influence. It's an opportunity for us to, to influence others with the hope that Jesus has given us. So what Peter is writing to, the people he's writing to are living in a country that, that um, is far from the freedom that we experience in America. And if you've been here the last three weeks, you've understood the context of the book of First Peter. Um, it's written to a people who are dispersed throughout Asia Minor. They're about to experience persecution through, because of the Roman Empire. And Peter is writing to a group of people and he is saying, as you submit to this government, you actually have the opportunity to influence them. Now, when we live in, in, in government systems and, and in oppressive um, systems that, 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 that try to press in on us, our natural response is to retaliate. Our natural response is to ignore but God is writing through the mouth of Peter to say, I don't want you to think that you can just act any way you desire as you live under government rule. Because here's the deal. You and I, regardless of whether it's secular or not, we are to be subject to government. We're to be subject to government, regardless of whether it's secular or not. We're not, we're not Peter's not writing to a group of people who are living in a country that's a theocratic uh, nation. You understand that? It's not Israel. It's not a nation that ultimately has God as its head, who's giving its directives. It is a country that's ruled by secular people, as is America. And Peter is saying to the people he's writing to, your proper response is submission, and the first reason is because your submission is an act of influence. Um, I, some of you guys are here because of some of the things we've done in our community. Um, if, if you've been around here for a while and you've heard our heartbeat, you know that we want to be a church that gives more than we take. And the natural outpouring of that vision is that we are intimately involved in our community. So some of the things that we do, we, we offer free backpacks, we, we offer free babysitting. One of the things that we've done over the last year and a half is to offer a free outdoor movie night. How many guys have ever been to one of our free outdoor movie nights? Anybody been to one? Okay. So you may not know this, but but um, we don't just, um, just decide we're going to show Zootopia and then show up the night that we are uh, scheduled to show it and just show the movie. That's not how it works. In L.A., you have to have a permit, number one, to show the movie from the studios. Number two, when we do the outdoor movie night, uh, we must have a permit from the city government. And um, there is a city that we have dealt with <laughs> um, that in... in in no uncertain terms, is very difficult to deal with. Um, when the first time, we've done like six of these now, the first time we ever showed an outdoor movie, we went to get a permit, and I remember sending texts back to um, our other pastors, and I'm like, I, I, I think I've given them everything, but I think they may want like, like, um, like, like my promise of my next child too. Like they want everything, right? Like, it's, it's difficult to get a permit to show an outdoor movie. In fact, I remember at one point, I'm standing across the desk, and it's so, like, like I'm like, are you serious? You like, and I'm, I literally asked, don't you do this often? And, and she looked at me, and she said, in the city that we're talking about, she said, actually, we don't host outdoor movies in our city. You guys are the first. 
And so because of that, um, we, we have had to go through a process. The city requires that the park cannot hold over a certain number of people. So if you've been to an outdoor movie this year, you know that we ticket the event through Eventbrite, even though it's a free event. And sometimes we get questions like, why do you, if it's free, why do you ask me to get a ticket? Well, there's a reason for that because the, the, the city government requires that we can't have a certain number of people and by ticketing the event we know that we can limit the number of people in the park why do we go to those links well because it's an act of submission to city government some of you guys have been to an outdoor movie night some of you guys have been introduced to our church because of an outdoor movie night i don't know if they're here yet this morning or if they're on their way or if or where they are but 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 there's a couple in our church Last October, last summer, who, uh, there was a lady who came to our outdoor movie night. I met her on the sidewalk with her three kids. She started faithfully attending our church. She started dating a man. That man came to faith in Christ in April. We baptized him a month later, and he's here because of an outdoor movie night. Let me say this to you. Um, when we submit to government authority, what that means is, is that, that ultimately the people that we are directly reporting to and relating to, ultimately they may not come to faith in Jesus and Christ may not be planted in their hearts. But when we submit to government, what the scripture says is that it could lead to the advancement of the gospel in other areas of life. Can I say to you this morning, our submission to the city government to host an outdoor movie night has led in, it, to our knowledge of at least one person in our fellowship coming to faith in Christ. Peter's argument is when you submit to government, part of the reason is is because it's a matter of influence. The gospel can advance when we submit to government. And that's part of his argument this morning. But he has another one, and it's found in verse 13 and 14. His second argument is not only that it's a matter of influence, but secondly, his argument is that we should submit to God because God has established authority for our good. Listen to this, verse 13. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors, listen to this, here it is, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do right. Have you ever thought that God in his wisdom established governments, not just in America, but around the world, to number one, refrain evil, number two, to reward good? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, the scripture clearly tells us this morning that God has ordained a structure to hold back good, and, I mean, hold back evil and to reward good. And so part of the process of living in submission to a government is that God established that government for our good. Some of you guys have heard me tell the story. Uh, a couple months ago, I was driving on Glen, uh, Glen Oaks Boulevard here in Burbank, and I was texting while I was driving and the police officer pulled me over. I didn't see him. I was kicking myself because I'm usually pretty aware and he pulled me over. <laughs> he pulled me over and you know that feeling, right? Like, like, like when the police are behind you, you know that feeling, right? So he comes up to the window. I got both hands on the steering wheel. The window is down and he says, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? <laughs> Just being honest. Um, officer, um, I don't know why you pulled me over, (laughs) 
right? Like, like, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I knew why he pulled me over. He knew why he pulled me over, and he rightfully gave me a ticket. Now, here's what happened. I texted a, a, a police officer buddy of mine, and I'm like, dang, dude, I got a texting and driving ticket. He's like, no problem, man. Here's what you do. Um, you write a letter, you check this box, and you send it back. By the way, who was the officer? I was like, his officer is so-and-so. He's like, oh, that dude's a great friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, Just write the letter, check the box, send it this way. He will receive the letter. He'll wipe your ticket clean. I'm like, oh, thank God. Thank you, Jesus, right? And then I started reconciling in my mind. Like I go back and forth, back and forth. Like, like if I write this letter, then, then I have to create a different narrative and tell a different story than what actually happened, right? And so I'm a pastor. And um, <laughs> so like this, there's like this tension. Like do I do it? Do I not do it? And ultimately, I went back and forth, and, um, and, I, and I sat on it for weeks, and so uh, I didn't write in the letter to have it revoked, and apparently, I forgot to pay the ticket too, all right? <laughs> so two weeks ago, I get this letter in the mail, and the letter says, which by the way, the ticket was $149 for texting and driving. I thought it would be hundreds of dollars. Like, that's not bad at all. Okay, I, $149. I get a letter two weeks ago that says, you failed to show up for court. You failed to pay your ticket. Your ticket is now $723. And by the way, you have two weeks to take care of this bill. And if you don't take care of the bill, your car will be impounded. So if you see me driving a Vespa this week, <laughs> you know my car got towed, all right? Do you know that law-abiding citizens sleep well at night? <laughs> and law-breaking citizens have this trouble in their conscience that debates back and forth because we know we have done something Wrong. Why? Because God established governments and authorities to refrain evil and to reward good. But you don't have to believe me. <laughs> you can drive 100 miles an hour on the 134 this afternoon, weave in and out of lanes, stand outside of your moonroof with a vest strapped to your chest and see how the LAPD thinks it's funny, right? They won't. Why? Because God has established governments to refrain good, uh, evil to reward good. In essence, what's happening here is God in his wisdom has understood that we need guardrails to guard us from the insurrections of our hearts. And one of the ways that he does that is through government. So our role living as kingdom citizens, Peter says, is to submit to the country and the government and the authorities in which we live. Now, now let, let me... Stop there. That's, that's like two-thirds of the sermon. We're going to move to the last part, but let me say this, okay? Um, first of all, I, I doubt anybody in this room would, would like disagree with anything I just said. Like, like okay, I get it. Smith, no, no problem. Um, um, it's a matter of influence. Okay, I get it. Um, hold back evil. Uh, reward. I get it. No problem. So we have no objections there, but somebody in this room probably is thinking in their mind, but what about when government fails us? What about when there is taxation without representation? 
What about when governments fail us, we board a boat, we head to a foreign land, establish our own nation? What about in those scenarios, are we justified? Can I say to you this morning, possibly, potentially, we have a term for it. It's called civil disobedience. And when a secular government forces us by law or by force, listen to me, I don't want you to confuse this. When a secular government forces us by law or by force to be disobedient to God, the scripture would command us not to comply and to suffer the results of our civil disobedience. We have merit from that in scripture. You know the story of Moses. Moses was a foster child. He was picked up by an Egyptian woman. He ended up serving um, his time in Egypt. God would raise up a man who would release God's people from the tyranny of Egypt. You know the story. You know the story of Esther. She was raised up for such a time as this, who went against the laws of the land to free God's people. You know the story of Samson. I remember one of my favorite preachers in seminary said, Samson killed the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And I love that story. I love it. It's amazing. But God raised up a man to rebel against the tyranny of the land. We know the story of Daniel, who was thrown in the lion's den. He was placed in a certain scenario where he would have influence with King Cyrus to release people from the tyranny of a hostile government. We have scriptural authority that when a secular government forces us by law or by force to be disobedient to God, we should not comply and suffer the consequence for our civil disobedience. Now listen, Peter is writing the book of 1 Peter here. Um, if you know the story of 1 Peter, in the book of Acts, when Jesus has died, he was buried, he rose on the third day, the church is established, the, the, the early disciples are preaching the gospel, people are getting saved, and in the context of a new um, religious system being formed in the Roman Empire, what's happening is the religious leaders of the day are not satisfied. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 are preaching the gospel, the same man who's writing this book. Peter and John are preaching the gospel. They're locked up, they're in prison, they're beaten, and they're told not to preach the gospel. Peter and John reply to the religious leaders, and they say to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you or to God, you be the judge. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John are released. They're told not to preach Jesus. They go out and they talk about Jesus and they preach Jesus again. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are locked up again. They're in front of the same religious leaders of the day. And Peter and John say to them, we must obey God rather than men. That is civil disobedience. And we have authority from Scripture that when a government will force us into a situation to be disobedient to God, we must not comply. Let me frame this in the context of our current country. Um, I, I, I don't mean to be political this morning, and this is not, this is, this is from Scripture. Let me, let me frame this in the context of our current country. In the last few years, and not just in the last few years, but there are uh, a succession of years where our country has become increasingly hostile towards what we believe as Christians. And when we 
are forced by law or by force to be disobedient to God. God says not comply, but he also says you're not, you don't have warrant to do it in a way that's unkind, that's ungraceful, and it's not humble. You don't have warrant to do it like that. So in the context of our, our current scenario in our country, what does civil disobedience look like? Civil disobedience looks like a company that's owned by Christians who are forced to issue a pill that would prevent the process of pregnancy. That company believes, as do I, that pregnancy and birth begins, life begins at conception. And that company decides that even though the Affordable Care Act says that we must issue a pill that would prevent the process of pregnancy, we believe uh, in doing so, we are contributing to the process of murdering children, and so we will not comply. I know there's divisive thoughts on both sides. You don't have to send me an email about it. I appreciate your opinion, but I believe that life begins at conception. If you disagree, we can disagree and still be friends and have coffee about it, but I don't want your email. So that company pays a million dollars a day. They, in civil disobedience, they take it to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court rules in their favor. Another scenario in our country, a Houston mayor decides that she's going to issue an ordinance and subpoena the sermons from from pastors in her city and that she is going to restrict that pastors cannot preach certain texts of the Bible. Pastors and churches, not only in Houston but around the country, rebel and they say, you cannot cause us to be disobedient to our God. Two weeks later, she repeals that ordinance. Let me give you something a little more personal. In our city that we live in, um, you don't know this, but before I ever moved here two years ago, we were looking for a place where we would host our church. And one of the places that we contacted was a movie theater here in town. We had uh, two weeks shy of an entire year of conversation with them about us moving into their theater. We were going to rent two theaters. We were going to have one where we hosted our worship, a second where we hosted our children's ministry. We paid a consultant to come in and tell us what we needed to do and what we needed to have in order to host church in their movie theater. And two weeks shy to a year's worth of conversation, they sent us a final contract on a Friday. We sent it back to them that day. Four hours later, they call us and they tell us that we apologize but do we we did not do our due diligence and our landlord will not allow us to rent our space to a church i gotta be honest with you this morning i was furious i was extraordinarily furious if you've been around our church for a while you know that we officially launched in february just a few months ago because of that one decision they delayed our launch by at least a month if not multiple months i consulted what we could do legally i had even had the thought that i would make it public but i praise god by the spirit of the living god who lives within me as well as you if you are a believer the spirit of god instructed me and what he brought to my attention was this is not an opportunity where they are asking you to be disobedient to me they are simply inconveniencing you and we need to make that distinction when we think about civil disobedience in our country 
Specifically, when the scripture talks about not complying, it's meaning um, that we will not be disobedient to God and no one will force us to be so. There are scenarios that come up in our country and because we are believers, we, we act immediately and think, gosh, we gotta fight this. But that may not be a certain scenario or situation that we actually need to fight because it's not an act of disobedience we're being forced into. It's simply an act of inconvenience and we need to know the distinction. But I want to say to you this morning, there are cracks in the bell of religious liberty in our country. So the question is, how do we live as good citizens? How do we live as good citizens? The scripture instructs us this morning. Number one, this may seem obvious, but bear with me. Number one, we pray. I was in Orange County this week, and I saw something that stirred my affections and my emotions greatly. Um... I was, uh, was meeting someone, and across the street from where I was meeting was Planned Parenthood. Again, everybody has different thoughts. There was a lady that was on the sidewalk in front of Planned Parenthood. She had no bombs. She had no weapons. She had no bullhorns. She was simply on her knees, and she was praying. I believe as Christians, we need to do more of that. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, listen to this, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In just a moment, we're going to pray as a church. We're going to pray as a church. Number two, how should we live in a country where there are cracks in the bell of religious freedom? We pray, number one. Number two, we participate. We participate. I, I can't stand politics as much as you. I get it. I understand it. I'm ready to be done. I laid in bed the other night. I pulled up Twitter. I was going to read the latest uh, crap on WikiLeaks. And I, and I turned my phone off. I'm like, I'm not going to have night terrors again. <laughs> but as a, a citizen of a foreign government, as American Christians, we should rightly understand this. That we have, if you're an American citizen who's also a Christian, you should rightly understand that I have a passport that is not stamped by any country on this planet, and I have a green card that is commissioned by the United States of America. I'm a foreign citizen in this country, according to the kingdom that I rightly belong to. And part of my role and responsibility as a citizen of another kingdom who should live responsibly in the country that will take me is that I participate in the process. I've been given freedom. I've been given freedom to participate in this process. I know, listen to me. I promise you, there are people in this room like, I'm not voting, I'm staying out of the process. If you believe that, that's fine. I'm okay if you believe that, but I really honestly, sincerely believe that this is one of the implications and applications of verse 16 here in 1 Peter chapter two. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. I think we really have to participate in this process. I don't think we can sit on the sidelines. I'm voting tomorrow or Tuesday. <laughs> 
by the way, it's not just a president that I'm voting for. There are other issues that are affecting the city that I live in. My kids are growing up in this city. I care about it. You should too. Number three, we pray, we participate. (laughs) We honor, we honor. Bear with me, you're gonna disagree with with one of two things I'm about to say. (laughs) Equal opportunity this morning, okay? President Barack Obama, I believe, is one of the chillest presidents we've ever had. (laughs) Honestly, I would love to sit on a couch and eat a bowl of Cheetos and drink Dr. Pepper and watch college football with President Barack Obama. I think he's that chill. Like, he seems amazing, like an amazing guy to hang out with. But there are some political promises and priorities that he has that I just disagree with. By the way, there's never been a Republican in my lifetime, Republican, Democrat, that I've ever agreed fully with. But here's the thing. One of the reasons why we want to get this process over with is because we, we read this antagonistic vitriol on social media where we're making statements and we're throwing blame and, and we're just, and, and there's just this antagonistic rhetoric that we have towards our current president and towards two presidential candidates. I, I'm just, look, we all agree. We don't agree fully with any candidate or any current president, but it's idiotic and it's foolishness. And I would go so far as to say that it's anarchy against God. And we don't honor those whom God has put in position. The bumper stickers like, like don't blame me, I didn't vote for this idiot. <laughs> Listen, that may be cute, but we don't have bumper sticker theology in the church. We don't have bumper sticker theology as Christians. By the way, that doesn't influence or persuade anybody. Like if you just think like, like one like, like bomb that you're going to throw out on social media is going to influence somebody else who thinks differently than you, then you're crazy. It just is going to con- put somebody's thoughts into concrete as to why they believe what they believe. Peter says this. Peter says this in verse 17. Listen to me. Peter says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. (laughs) Fear God. Here's what he says. Honor the emperor. (laughs) Do you understand what's happening? You understand what's happening? Peter, before Peter wrote this book, Paul, greatest missionary. Paul lost his life at the hands of the Roman emperor. Peter, after he writes this book, will be crucified upside down by the Roman emperor. His, his, uh, his, he would lose his life for it. After Peter writes this book, Nero, one of the uh, leaders in world history that's been more antagonistic to Christians than, any, than most any other leader in world history, would issue, would issue um, a decree in Rome that would establish persecution against Christians and would disperse Christians all over the world. This is Peter who's writing this. He's experiencing it. He's watching it that it's already happened. He's going through it now, and he knows it's about to come. And Peter says, honor the emperor. (laughs) That's a good perspective for the church. I don't know who's going to be elected on. I think I do. (laughs) 
but I'm not going to disagree with them. In fact, I quite honestly, I'm not going to like it. Regardless of who's elected on Tuesday, there's going to be sorrow in my heart. But I will honor the position. I will not participate in the chaos because God says your role is submission. (laughs) And until the time that they cause you to be disobedient against me, submission is an active influence and I need you to remember that I've established it for your good. I wanna pray for us. We're gonna sing a few songs and then we're gonna have a time of prayer together as a church. Jesus, God, sometimes you know the right time and the right way and the right place to allow us to hear your truth. God, you know in our heart of hearts, we did not plan this day. (laughs) You planned it, and I believe it was for the right time for our church. So God, as we sing, may we allow our hearts to be lifted upward the glory of God is always at stake and always in mind so regardless of what's happening around us God the glory of God is our hope not a two-party system not a bill of rights not a constitution God you are our hope